A year after Loki's devastating alien attack on New York City, the mighty Thor, along with his friends Lady Sif and the Warriors Three, fight to save the Nine Realms from deadly threats. When Thor's girlfriend Jane Foster discovers a fluid-like weapon called the Aether, she unknowingly awakens the evil Malekith and his dark elf army. With this, Asgard may be facing its darkest hour. Thor forms an uneasy alliance with his nemesis Loki to save Jane, stop Malekith, and save the Nine Realms from total chaos and darkness. Ciao my people, and welcome to our 72nd episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast where we discuss superhero movies, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing Thor, The Dark World. And with me today to discuss this polarizing sequel is returning guest co-host and wonderful patron, Holly McMiller. Hey, Holly, how are you? Doing well, Nick, and how are you doing? I'm doing very, very well, thanks, Holly. You know, it's been a great week, you know, as I said, between the hockey coming back and all this kind of thing, and the Canadians actually playing well for once. So I'm definitely very, very pleased about that and all the geeky goodness that's come our way. It's uh, definitely, definitely great, great so far. Um, so today we are, of course, you know, you chose uh, this, this movie, which I think is a very interesting choice indeed. We are discussing Thor The Dark World from 2013, directed by Alan Taylor, whom our listeners might know from Terminator Genesis, Lost, The West Wing, the Sopranos. The guy's written so many, directed so many things. The story was by Don Payne and Robert Rodit, and the score was by Brian T Tyler. And an estimate to put it in today's money, this movie cost about $190 million to make and made $720 million at the box office. So, decent return, I would say, for this Thor sequel. Now, I'm sure the question on a lot of people's minds is, Holly, is what made you decide you wanted to discuss Thor The Dark World? Well, because I think if memory serves, you've done the original Thor and Thor Ragnarok. So I thought we might as well finish out the trilogy. And going back and rewatching it, it it's a lot. It's it's actually kind of grown in my step up in the Thor. I, I really enjoyed it. It's not quite Empire, but I was really getting a Lord of the Rings Two Towers vibe. Hmm, okay. Kind and, of. I, and I wonder, would, would your choice have to do with your appreciation, have to do with the fact that there might be a certain doctor in this in this film? Uh, that too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Be blinking. Well, not quite blinking. You missed, but yes, Christopher Eccleston. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Of course, we will discuss him. But yeah, I I see what you're saying because it is kind of I'm actually you know now that we have these three four, four, four Thor films, it now is pretty much the middle chapter. And you you express it well in the sense of almost describing it like a two towers kind of film, uh, and, and it's probably also the darkest of the three. You know, it's in the title, but also you know theme wise and such it's definitely darker mm -hmm. compared compared the first one um you know it's interesting that you mentioned the fact that it's grown on you and you know you appreciate it more because i know that this is one of those marvel movies that does not get much love compared to others and kind of like it's 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 a very timely that you chose this film because you know last week we did the amazing spider-man 2 which is kind of in the same situation as this one as it is a very polarizing movie 
And personally, I, like you, I had mixed feelings about this one myself, as there are days when I really love it, and there are days when I'm, like, picking it apart, and I'll do my best to, you know, in, in this on this particular rewatch, on, or this review, I will definitely do my best to insert both why I enjoy it and why this film has problems. But I'm, I'm kind of on in, on, in, in your... Um, in your line of thinking is in, I, I definitely enjoyed it much more on this rewatch compared to what I remembered. Uh, so let's get to our players on the board here. then. starting with the man who puts the name in the title, Chris Hemsworth, of course, reprising his role as our God of thunder Thor. So when it comes to this film, you know, and what Thor does and what he gets to do in this one, what were your thoughts on, on Thor? Um, it was really, I, he got kind of got stuck in a rock in a hard place after what happened with Jane <clears> and then having to kind of, you know, go and ask stepbrother Loki for help. And it's just like, yeah, sure. My team brought you in. You're serving your punishment. Can I trust you? And, and then it's just like, okay, well, we're here's going to, going to do a little side plan here and i'm hoping you're not going to double cross and <laughs> have things go the right way <laughs> which Very... for the most part yes until we get to the ending <laughs> <laughs> very very true i mean you know i don't know about you but as i kind of wish that this sequel had been directed by kenneth branagh who had actually directed you know the the, the first thor, thor film as i feel this story would have been right up his alley i mean i i yes. do you know, I, I do appreciate how Alan Taylor and his writers did pick up where we ostensibly left off when it came to Thor's personal journey, which is also colored, I think, by his recent Battle of New York with the Avengers. And they actually, actually do mention this. And this mm -hmm. film, I guess, could somewhat be seen, I guess, as the aftermath of that film, you know, from Thor's perspective as right here. We catch up with Loki being imprisoned in Asgard following the events of that film. And, you know, when it comes to Thor... I think he's very much on his way to becoming more of that noble king and less of a petulant and arrogant prince that we had seen in the previous right. movie. You know, I think he has he has very much matured. You know, I think uh, we could almost see this also when it comes to the relationship that he now has with his father, Odin. Added to this here I, I think is also where the traumas in Thor's life begin, which I think will kind of mm. lead to his depression, which we do get in Endgame. I mean, he's still, mm -hmm. I think, very much your fight-loving, you know, kind of jock character, but I think he's somewhat been humbled from his previous experience on Earth and, like you were mentioning, his love for Jane Foster. And here I think he's been tasked, you know, with a major, major task, which is bringing order to the Nine Realms that are now in tumult, and it's very much, I think, fitting in fact, a charismatic leader when it comes to Asgard and his people. But also what I liked about this is very conflicted when it comes to his brother Loki, because deep down, I think he loves him and I think just wishes things were better. As we can see, he's generally heartbroken when, as far as he knows, Loki dies. And unfortunately for him, this won't be the first time that Thor will see his brother die. <laughs> and right. added, added to that, you know, by movie's end, I think he's also, because one, he's lost Loki. Secondly, he's also lost his beloved mother, Frigga, who's been killed by Malekith. And this, I think, has somewhat mm -hmm. made him into more of a serious and sober character, because you know, by movie's end, I think he just wants to do right by Loki's sacrifice, his mother's death, and 
and I guess by all means, by anything else, just wanting to make Odin proud. I mean, he thinks that that's Odin. We we find out it isn't, but I think right. that's 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 really his mission. Uh, I mean, but what were your thoughts? In fact, in that case, when it came to like all the traumas he has to face here, because as I said, you know, he loses his mom, he loses Loki, and all this kind of thing. What were your thoughts on all that? Um, he's gone through the ringer just about as bad as the ringer that Tony Stark went through in Iron Man 3 and him having those major nightmares. I mean, he and Tony should sit down and compare notes (laughs) (laughs) and and try to talk things. I was like, Hey, did you go through the same thing that I did? It's, and you know, and then Odin, I think he's finally realizing that Thor's growing up. But I still think Odin's still kind of putting him up on the up on a high pedestal, or he's just like, yeah, you're turning the corner. You kind of had it, but are you going to something going to happen where you're going to become that? Nothing can stop me. The cocky surefire that he was in the first film. Mm. I think he's kind of leery of that. It's just like, can I trust you to take over? <laughs> Hmm. I, I do think he's maybe a little bit more trusting of him now, but uh, but I, I but I totally see what you're saying for sure. So you know, as we did mention her here and there, let's talk a little bit about Thor's lady, whom we will actually see become the mighty Thor herself in the upcoming fourth. Thor film Love and Thunder, uh, which will be a while from now, but you know, we now know this, of course. We are, of course, talking about Natalie Portman reprising her role as Jane Foster. So, when it came to, to the character of Jane, what were your thoughts on, on her role in this film? I, I, I thought it was fantastic to see her back with Darcy and, <laughs> you know, and then her getting hit by the ether, and it's just like, okay, what do we do? I mean, she's calm, cool as a cucumber. I mean, that would have happened to me. I would be freaking out. And then Frigga's <laughs> just like, okay, I have a plan, but you're going to have to follow everything I say. And her going with it and then having to deal with Darcy's assistant. <laughs> and then Eric Salve going off at the reservation <laughs> and having to deal with that. It's just like, Okay, she's rolling with the punches here. Mm, very much so. And, I mean, yeah. And doing a fantastic job of it. Oh, yes. I mean, you know what? I have to admit, there were times when this character got a little bit on my nerves. Maybe it was the fact that she was constantly pining for Thor. And I get that, as he had promised right. her that he would come back. But, hey, he was kind of busy saving the world and other such things. So, right. granted, yeah, in, in, yeah. Yep. Oh, and my little quibble is, is when she started dating that other guy, she shouldn't have strang him along. It's just like, let's just be friends here. I kind of have a thing with somebody else. And yeah, he's somewhat otherwise occupied. <laughs> yes, exactly. We know she could have just openly been honest with him from the get go and say, you know, I'm not over this other guy just yet. So. I, I was kind of, you know, wondering about that myself. I mean, I'm glad also they did give the character more to do aside from playing the mournful lover as she's somewhat, I think, trying to get over Thor and move on and she fails spectacularly. And you would think oh, that yeah. aside, of course, from looking to date other people, as a lot of folks tend to do to kind of get over their exes. I mean, even though granted they hadn't really officially broken up, but I guess that's what they kind of 
the message that's the message they're giving to the audience but she would mm-hmm. you'd think that maybe she would throw herself into her work but we find out that she's mm-hmm. pretty much been neglecting that and it's pretty much darcy who pulls her back into the whole work thing which is crazy mm-hmm. i mean yeah. i guess i guess this maybe shows how heartbroken she is over thor pretty much leaving her hanging as she's abandoned her passion and she's drowning her sorrow in ice cream apparently and uh, right. you know you 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 brought him up i have to hand it to richard i mean the guy she supposedly yeah. asks out on this date he's such a gentleman about it all you know others yes. would probably not have put up with it so Oh um, no! Yeah, it was just like ah. Uh, they know? would have been out the door. It's like okay, he, no, not happening. <laughs> yeah, he he's content with saying sea bass forever by himself. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so so I have to hand it to Richard. But what I did about I enjoyed though about this film is also the role reversal we get from the first Thor film. Is in the first one, obviously, it was Thor who was the fish out of water going to Earth. And here it's Jane getting to be experience that that same feeling by being whisked away to Asgard, you know, and dealing with being on a completely different planet. And, you know, we do see her in Endgame briefly. But fun fact, that is actually extra footage from this film. And oh, wow. yeah, Natalie Portman was never really on set. The only thing that she kind of does, of, which is new for Endgame, was the voiceover that she provides. But other than that... She was never on set, which is so basically this is the last time we actually got to see, should we say, Jane Foster, you know, uh, in, in the flesh, if you will, not, you know, it being an extra from another movie. But uh, other than that, you know, it would be curious to see how it, it's all going to come together when we do get to Love and Thunder, because even in Endgame, you know, Thor goes back to the past and sees her. But that's pretty much it. Other than that, I really liked how um, Jane interacts with both Odin and Frigga, you know, especially when it comes to Frigga's for the brief moments, they're both on screen. I think the two characters very much develop this rapport, which sadly we won't get again, seeing as sadly Frigga is still dead after Endgame. But Mm -hmm. it was a good choice also, I think, to make Jane the vessel for the ether, like you were mentioning that. You know, I would have been just as just as probably traumatized as, as you said you'd be, though, that it does mean, though, that for a big chunk of the movie, she's basically fainting in and out. And so she doesn't really get to do much once she's invaded by the ether. But I, I did enjoy her in this. I thought it was it was a good, uh, good role. And uh, the, the, the part was that was good. So let's get to the, you. As you mentioned, her. let's get to the return of Jane's team from the first film. Once again, Kat Jennings and Stellan Skarsgård reply, reprising their roles, respectively, as Darcy Lewis and Eric Selvig. And now added to the mix, we have a new face in J- Jonathan Howard as Ian Boothby whom our listeners might know from Dream Team. So when it comes to this Dream Team, let's say, of Darcy, Eric Selvig, and Ian, what were your thoughts on these three? Um, Good. The Dream Team had a couple of bumps in the middle of the road when Darcy discovers the portal and Ian decides to toss the car keys. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you tossed the car keys. You could have tossed something else. (laughs) (laughs) We're stuck. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, but it was nice to see. And then Eric Selvig, I mean, just, you know, him, his typical science-loving self, you know, winding up getting into trouble at Stonehenge. And then, 
theorize, giving his theories to the his captive audience at the <laughs> whatever little mental health ward that he was in to recover. I mean, it was nice to see them. Yeah, it's too bad Darcy couldn't have come along for the ride to see Asgard. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been hilarious. It really would have been. I mean, and also knowing, you know, Kat Jennings and her great comedic timing, I think the kind of mm-hmm. things she could have come up with, even just purely out of, you know, off the cuff, it would have been hilarious. Mm-hmm. It's a shame, like you said, we didn't really get to see uh, Darcy and Asgard. But yeah, what I, what I thought and yeah. something <laughs> oh, yeah and then some and then some yeah. i mean i suppose like the warriors three who are kind of barely in this film which i understand okay. as here i think it's more of a thor and loki centric story and jane gets a little bit more but i think i'd say mainly their big relationship here is thor and loki um, you know darcy still pretty much has little or no clue when it comes to all the sciencey things going on in the film i uh, like the the moment at the restaurant which is like where, where um jane is bashing the the what the remote control on the on the table and that's like yes i tried to do that too <laughs> you know so it's yeah. like she has zero knowledge but but I do love how supportive she is of Jane and Thor's relationship. And I think she really wants to see them together. It almost, I almost got the impression that she's almost like us, the viewers in this, in this wanting to see, you know, Thor and Jane go steady. Added to that, right. I think her role is pivotal in this because it brings Jane back to her beloved science. And she pretty much instigates in getting the band back together for the most part. Also, mm. I very much enjoyed her banter between her and Jane and also between her and Ian, who I always feel terrible for in Darcy not remembering his name and always calling him intern. But I wonder that now that they're dating, I hope she won't be calling him intern. But um, but it it was great. It's like, you know, when she takes him like to dinner with her parents, this is my, this is intern. This is the guy I'm dating. Um, But it was fun that Ian and Darcy apparently hook up by the movie's end as Ian gets his hero moments by saving Darcy's life though I do think she will be the one wearing the pants in that relationship I'm just saying because I'm thinking so yeah (laughs) she seems like definitely the stronger one of the two Eric Selvig I had to wrap my head around as in this you know he he gives me the impression of being Dr. Emmett Brown from Back to the Future on steroids because yes you, know, you mentioned the Stonehenge scene you know the guy's running around Stonehenge but I did not understand why did he have to do it naked um it's just like I mean he he does seem to somewhat explain that he lost his mind and I guess like he said he was chalking it up to the trauma of Loki's mind control from what happened in the Avengers film. But it just seemed a little bit odd that, you know, he's running around Stonehenge. He just feels the need to strip to strip completely and just run around naked. I'm like, okay. But uh, that said, you know, he's always wonderful on screen. And I think he has that straight faced comedy, which is gold. And I, Mm. and Hey, I have to also think, say he rocks those whiteies, you know, just as good as Walter White in breaking bad. He looks great. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, so I was, in fact, I immediately went to Walter White. I mean, I couldn't help it, but it was like, you know, what, who are the, what other full grown man do I know who kind of looks kind of badass in, in tighty whiteies? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but these two, I think, should definitely talk and compare notes. But other than that, it was, yeah. it was great seeing 
this team. So from a trio to a couple, let's take a look at Thor's parents. Once again, returning actors, we have, of course, Sir Anthony Hopkins as Odin and the aforementioned Rene Russo as Frigga. So when it came to, to Thor's parents, what did you think of, uh, of them in this? It was nice to see them back on screen, and I absolutely love Frigga, because something tells me if she would have survived and Thor would have gone to the original Odin to get permission to continue on his relationship with Jane, I think she would have probably been like, you are going to let this happen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, and that's the end of it, because I think Odin... He, I, I think he was a little bit leery. He's just like, okay, she's from Midgard. Let's just keep things the way they've been. End of story. <laughs> so, so you think that Odin was a little bit more, should we say, giving Jane a little bit more of a wider berth compared to Frigga? I, I think so. I mean, there was glimmers of him accepting her, but I think still that uncertainty and the you're you're an outsider mm-hmm. and we normally don't let outsiders in that sort of because i mean he he did bring loki in and look how much trouble loki's brought him even though he adopted him and brought him into the family <laughs> true well you make a so good point though i don't think he would have to have any worries with jane <laughs> <laughs> True. But but you know what? You you definitely make a good point there because maybe he felt like, you know, I, I brought in another outsider like Loki and I've created a precedent and look where it got us. And so maybe he's thinking to himself in his mind, this is another outsider. Are we going to be having trouble with this one? So, so you, you bring mm-hmm. up a, a fantastic point there, Holly. I mean, I know some people have criticized Anthony Hopkins of phoning it in when it came to this character. But on the contrary, I totally bought this Odin. You know, as, as I, I had. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I he, he didn't phone this in, in my opinion. No, me either. I, I just think with all the stuff that was going on, he's it's a major situation, and he's trying to keep his cool. And there's so many moving pieces. I don't think he even knows who to trust. Exactly with the no. plan. No, very true. I mean, because I know that the people have criticized it, but I don't get where they get their criticism from. Because, you know, like you, I totally bought this Odin as I had in the first film. And this, I guess, could maybe be colored by my undying love for Sir Anthony Hopkins and his incredible body of work. But he's just fantastic. And, And also in this film, as I had mentioned, you know, when we talked about Thor, the relationship between the two has very much improved since Thor's time on Earth. I think you can see that Odin is genuinely proud of the man Thor is becoming. And at the same time, as much as he's understandably harsh and bitter towards Loki, and I think it's a great contrast on how he feels about his two sons. And I do feel the the old man's heart is very much broken over Loki. So he would like to see what we actually get to see for a spell. You know, when we see Loki and Thor fighting the good fight together. I think that's what Odin is hoping will someday, will someday happen. And just he feels his heart keeps getting broken over and over again when it comes to that. And it was a shame we did not get to see what went on between Loki and Odin. It's hinted, I guess, you know, towards the ending as at the end, apparently Loki was posing as an Asgardian soldier. And then when he talks to Odin in the throne room, it's probably when 
Odin gets dethroned, but we don't know where he goes. And we, ha- we have to wait quite a few movies before we know that mm-hmm. Loki put him in a home, apparently. But, uh, yeah. you know, aside from the relationship with his sons, I think that Odin really he keeps that godly arrogance and snobbish nature, like you were saying, mentioned when it comes to anybody who is not Asgardian. As so I think he's very dismissive of Jane and I think maybe just of humanity in general. As you know, but but what I love is he gets put in his place by Jane when he admits that he doesn't know how to extract the ether from her body. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's like, "This is the great epic books that we uh, we as guardians have," and she's like, "You know, does it say how to get the ether out of me?" He's like, "No," and so he kind of, he kind of looks, he kind of looks, I think, a little bit dejected there. Of, I could have mm-hmm. had one over the the, uh, the the dumb mortal, but I didn't. When it comes yeah. to, to Frigga, first off, I think her death inspires one of my personal favorite pieces of music in the MCU, which is Into Eternity, which is the the the, the, the theme which is played during Frigga's funeral. And yes. I think that uh, composer Brian Tyler wrote a spectacular piece there. And, and mm-hmm. I'm glad that, you know, unlike the previous Thor movie, a great actress like Renee Russo actually gets to shine and gets a little more screen time as she's absolutely fabulous. And you think to yourself, you've hired Renee Russo. You should try and get as much mileage as possible out of this woman's acting because she's a f- mm-hmm. fantastic, fantastic actress. Also, what I love is, you know, she's very much that kind and warm-hearted character. She's very much that yin to Odin's more stern yang. Because, you know, unlike Odin, like you were also saying, she very much is welcoming and warm to Jane. And is very much that benevolent goddess compared to maybe Odin being the more stern and, you know, not wanting people, you know, should we say non-gods or non-Asgardians, you know, on his turf. I did wonder, though, why she appeared to Loki in his cell as a hologram and not as herself. Because if she loves her son so much and you think, you know, what harm could come to her? I just thought to myself, well, either this was a writer's choice to reinforce Mm -hmm. the whole concept of nothing is how it seems when it comes to Loki. Or just the fact that, you know, the whole illusion stuff because that we see later, like when um, Thor gets his hand cut off and it's not true and everything. But what right. did you think of that moment? I mean, when it came to, to Frigga appearing to Loki in his cell, as I said, as a kind of a hologram and not as herself. Right. It could have been a foreshadowing and a foretelling because you get the same thing, too, with Frigga telling Jane, I've got a plan, you need to follow my lead. And when she shows down with Malekith, mm. that figure of Jane turns out to be a hologram. So I, it could have been just a setup and that scene where her hologram, where Frigga's hologram visits Loki, just the way she kind of talked to him is like, yeah, you're being a little bit dismissive of me, but you'd rather have me here than talking with, talking to Odin. <laughs> you're appreciate, you're, you're, you appreciate the visit, even though you aren't saying Yes, I <laughs> oh, verbally because I mean after his after her death, when Thor first goes to see Loki, he puts up that vision of his room being complete and him in his normal attire. But then when that illusion goes down, you see he's completely wrecked the room and he's not in his standard garb. So. He was really affected by her death. 
Yeah, that's why I, I just thought it was odd because I thought it was rather out of character for Frigga's. I would have found it even more meaningful had she actually been there in person. And I think it only hurts Loki more that she isn't. And as we see also that he he is, like you were mentioning, he gets hit pretty hard when he learns of her death. And I think that even when she's died and is no longer on screen, you can very much feel her presence throughout the movie, which I think is beautiful. And, you know, you did great to touch up on that moment where Thor goes to to Loki's uh, cell and then he's completely disheveled and he's not, you know, looking cool, calm and collected because I suppose it also reinforces the whole thing that... uh, Loki is never exactly what he seems and he never really lets on on how he really feels. So um, right. so I, I, it's a, you definitely bring up a great point for sure. So before we start looking at our villains, Holly, I would actually give an honorable mention to another great character in this film. And that would and that would be, of course, the fantastic Idris Elba as Heimdall. <laughs> Who gets yep. definitely a lot more to do in, once again in this one compared to the first Thor film. So, uh, you know, you you were not on to discuss the first Thor film, but in general, what have been your thoughts on the character of Heimdall and you know, especially what he does in uh, in Dark World? Um, he really, I, I liked him in the first one. He was kind of hard to read, and then this one, he's just like, my hands are tied. But if I were you. It's going to be risky. We're talking treason. This is what I would do. (laughs) (laughs) You can run run with it if you want to, but I really can't help. (laughs) So it was nice to see that he was giving Thor the support. I mean, because Heimdall knew it was bad news with the Aether and Malekith and his Dark Elves coming. It's just like... Yeah, we thought, you guys thought New York City was bad. (laughs) Here's our own version of New York City. Yeah, and and I love that. Yeah, because you definitely make a you definitely make a point there because the fact that he doesn't tr- actually openly you know break the law, but he kind of helps Thor indirectly, which I think is, yeah. is fantastic. That's the fact that he tries to stay loyal to Odin while at the same time understanding Thor's plight, which I think is great. And I love the fact that his character is used more in this in this film. Though sometimes I guess he is also used a lot as a narrative and plot device, you know, because he basically the, the director uses him to explain the whole concept of the conjunction and the more kind of astrological aspects of the nine realms. I mean, I think, you know, what's here's funny. We talked about uh, Doctor Who a little bit earlier. I think he would actually be a perfect doctor when it comes to Doctor yes. Who. I love mm-hmm. Idris Elba as an actor, and I think he'd be fantastic yeah. if ever, you know, mm-hmm. he decided to go from, you know, the big screen to the BBC. I think he'd be a fantastic doctor, yes. as is, even mm-hmm. in this character, because he's one of those stern characters, but he doesn't shy away from cracking a smile and making entertaining commentary on things. So I just got that that doctor vibe. Maybe it's because we have another one in this film, so that it could be colored <laughs> by that. Um, he is so noble and I think it is stressed that he literally sees everything that goes on throughout the nine realms and and beyond. And I think he's incredibly perceptive also because his sight goes just not, not just, you know, towards the whole cosmic things. He sees a lot also when it comes to interpersonal relationships as well, you know, because it might seem like the guy's just basically stargazing and opening portals, but he's very, very good at reading people. That's what I love about, uh, about this character. Also, I think along with the warriors three, he's possibly the most loyal friend Thor has on Asgard. And I think 
here we somewhat get a hint of where this character will go when we get to Thor Ragnarok. We, of course, there we see he's become, um, a, no, he's become a, a rebel, as in obviously because Loki's taken over um, Asgard, and we had of course um, Hela, who's, who then replaces him. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I love this character to death. And I'm so glad we got more of him. So. Sticking with the Asgardians, let's get to the dark side of the table, starting with, of course, the Amanda has cropped up quite a bit during the course of this, this review, and a lot of people's favorite villain or anti-hero, depending on who you ask. Of course, we're talking about the wonderful Tom Hiddleston as Loki. So, uh, Holly, you know, first off, would you consider him one of your top MCU villains? And secondly, uh, what were your thoughts on Loki in this film? Yeah, Loki's right up there in the top villains. I mean, he's still, even though he's behind bars and that, you can't trust him as far as you can throw him. He's Mm -hmm. slippery. He's smooth-talking. Because as soon as that jailbreak happens where the dark elves come in, you know, he kind of tells one of them, "Uh, you might want to go down this way and to your left. It's just like... (laughs) Really? Okay. <laughs> it's just like, are you sure helping them is in your best interest? Because, you know, they might kill you. You served your purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Unless yeah. you're going to change into somebody else and sweet talk your way out. Very, very true. Um, and also, I think the fact that uh, said you never, you, even though he's behind bars, he's just as uh, he can be just as dangerous. It doesn't mean that he uh, that you've kind of neutralized him completely. And I guess, you know, it's pretty much any MCU movie we see him in. He's very much the main draw and highlight when it comes to no matter what film he's in. And and I think it very much so is here. You know, as in my eyes, this film is very much a story about Thor and Loki more than anything else. And and I would actually argue that just like Thor, we get even more of a richness and development of this character. Because just like I think he's very duplicitous and very multifaceted in everything he does, Loki never betrays his true feelings on anything. Like, you know, when he, you know, we mentioned about hiding his grief for his mother's death and possibly wanting to redeem himself and become a hero. And and we get very similar things later on in Thor Ragnarok as well. I I must admit, I always love when Thor and Loki team up and are on the same side. That's some of the you get some of the best scenes both here and, you know, once again, going to Ragnarok. And I guess it may possibly ruin this character, though, if he actually did do a full and complete 180 and became a hero. I mean, would Mm -hmm. if it comes to you, if it came to you, you know, would you like to see Loki basically go over to the good side and stay there? Or are you happy with with him kind of constantly switching sides? I'm kind of, I'm happy with him kind of trying to straddle both sides of the fence because I don't know if I could completely buy him as a white hat. I think it would kind of bump him down and take the wind out of his sails. If he stays gray hat, I think that's the, works the best. I mean, that talk when they're going with the plant and then him switching to an Asgardian guard and then switching Thor to Lady Sif. And then all of a sudden they walk in the hall and then you get a cut to him changing himself into Captain America. It was just like, 
Uh-huh. Yeah. It's just like, no, you need that. I mean, I don't think he would be himself if he was, if he stuck to the good side. I mean, at the time, you know, granted, I, I mean, I know it might be hard to, to, to bring back those memories now because, you know, so many movies later, but when he apparently sacrificed himself in order to, you know, ostensibly save Jane Foster and, it, you know, everyone's kind of, wondering, did you buy the fact that he'd possibly died at that point? I, I was kind of not really, I didn't think he, I, you know, it's just like, I've seen enough Doctor Who, I'm just like, he's kind of a master type character, so I was like, eh, he's got himself an out, he's sacrificing, but there's something, there's a little more to it than that, there's an angle for him. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and how did you take the, the final reveal, because obviously by movie's end, he's taken the throne of Asgard and is posing as Odin. How, I mean, were, were you were you expecting that, you know, when we got the, the, the sort of little father-son chat between Odin and Thor and we find out that Odin is not Odin? I did not expect it. I mean, I completely forgot when I had the rewatch. I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot that happened. It was just like, <laughs> okay, we missed something here off screen. When did Loki switch with Odin and where is he? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because that's the whole thing is you, you, it would have been wonderful to actually see those seats, but I suppose mm-hmm. it would have maybe have made obviously less of a, you know, boom punch reveal that that's not Odin that Thor is talking to. Right. So, so I guess they ha- kind of had to save that for, you know, this kind of big kind of a cliffhanger. Uh, that the fact that uh, that uh, we don't know where Odin is, and you know we kind of really you know only find out as I said many movies later with Ragnarok, and even then you know we just kind of know that Odin was somewhere in some old folks' home that Loki sent him to, but uh, we you know that's really sort of ostensibly it because then obviously we get that whole little speech that Odin gives to Thor and Loki before Hela arrives, but. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a great cliffhanger myself and uh, just, just fantastic. And I love the fact that Loki always keeps you guessing because you think to yourself, yeah. oh, okay, he's going to now be fighting with Thor. This is beautiful, but how long is it going to last? You know, it's like, right. I'm waiting, yeah. I'm waiting for the switch to happen. Like a couple of minutes later, once you know, they've stormed the castle, if you will, he's probably going to turn yeah. around and, and, uh, and stab Thor in the back. Um, but, and, yeah. but I think it also kind of breaks Thor's heart as well because I think he really wants his brother to fight beside him because we can see that he really yeah. does love Loki dearly I don't know how Loki feels about it all the caused him when he was growing up he's like yeah you're still my family and I love you <laughs> yes. I don't want to admit that you're adopted <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and you do you do as I said wonder how Loki really feels about it I mean I think he is conflicted himself maybe it is the whole thing of his nature is like you know it's like the story of the scorpion and the turtle or the scorpion and the frog whatever you want to call it the one where right. you know where it says the guy says it's in my nature I can't change my nature I wonder right. if that's the case with Loki, that try as he might, he just can't stay good. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I yeah. think it's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a big de- it's a major debate there. I think the fans are still having to this day. So speaking, right. actually, speaking actually of villains, let's get to the first and so far only appearance of the Dark Elves. Starting with one of the most prominent of the elves, before we, of course, get to the main elf, let's say, we have, of course, Adewale Kinoyu Agbaye as Algrim Curse, whom our listeners might remember from as being Killer Croc in Suicide Squad. 
So when it came to the character of Olgrim slash Curse Holly, what did you think of him? He was he was interesting because it's just like between him and the main elf, it was just like okay, who's the one that we have to worry about most, and is there going to be more of a power struggle between the two instead of them working together? Hmm. Very true. And um, what did you think of like the whole kind of power? The, should we say his power up that the Algrim gets to become cursed? I mean, did you buy that whole the whole thing of him ostensibly kind of sacrificing his elvishness or humanity to become this killing machine for the Dark Elves? It was interesting, but then it kind of reminded me of the whatever in Iron Man three that Pepper got infected with that. Tony had to quickly cure it. It was just like, are we getting that replay or is this something mm. else? So it was just like, nice touch. I mean, I can see where he, you would kind of go dark side and become full on dark elf to help the cause. It was just, it was kind of interesting, but then I kind of got that sort of a vibe to it. Mm. Yeah, you know what? Because this character actually reminded me of other characters that I've we've actually met on the podcast. In case in point, he reminded me a lot for some reason of Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, yeah. You know, because kind of like from the Dark Elves' perspective, because he's kind of sacrificing his life and, for want of a better term, elvishness for the cause. And I think it's kind of the case of one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. As I guess from the Dark Elves perspective, you know, it's, it's the Asgardians who took away their livelihood and destroyed their planet. And he wants to see his people back on top. So I guess if you look at it that way, he's very much the champion of the Dark Elves compared to possibly their leader, Malekith. And funny story, in the comics, Malekith actually forces Algrim the Strong, as he's known, to battle Thor. And it's actually a character we have yet to see in the MCU, and I hope we will get eventually, the Beyonder, who is a character who gives um, Algrim his powers and turns him into curse. So you don't really have all these kind of stones and what have you. But um, he kind of also reminded me a little bit of, he's kind of like the Heimdall to the Dark Elves, as he's wholly and completely married to the cause and, you know, to what Malekith wants, and he puts that above himself. So he's basically, I guess, I kind of saw him as the noble Dark Elf, if you will, if you look at it from their perspective, if you want to kind of show mm -hmm. sympathy for the Dark Elves. But uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a nice character. So let's get to so far, I believe, the only Doctor we have from Doctor Who that we've seen in the MCU. And hopefully we may get more. Of course, we're talking about the ninth Doctor himself, Mr. Chris Eccleston as Malekith. Of course, as I said, our listeners or our Whovians will know as the ninth Doctor. He was also in such films as The Others, 28 Days Later, and The Second Coming. So, um, Holly, I know, like I said, that as a hardcore Whovian, your love for this character is probably, you know, your maybe your um, thoughts on this character might be coloured by that. But first off, how did you feel about finally seeing one of our Doctors in an MCU movie? And secondly, what did you think of Balakith? I thought it was awesome to have somebody from the Doctor Who universe make it into the Marvel universe. And he, Christopher Eccleston, can just play an awesome bad guy. And Malekith, I mean, there's more backstory that I think that needs to be told mm -hmm. <laughs> about him. Because, I mean, it's just like, he's somebody you really don't want to mess with. <laughs> 
Very true. He's got his own plans. <laughs> and what are those who want to try to stop him? Yeah, because in fact, because you, you know, you obviously not being familiar with the comics, were you able to understand this character and his agenda and everything else? Uh, or, I mean, were you at all thrown or confused by this character? Um, I could kind of understand where he just wants his planet was destroyed, so he wants to come and return the favor to those who destroyed by taking over their planet and making it the new dark elf home world. Mm. And it was just like, okay, let's see how that's going to go and work out for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's, here's the thing. I absolutely love Christopher Eccleston. And actually, you know, I mean, I do as you know, when I'm, when I'm pressed to answer the question, I do love all the doctors equally, but I will say that the ninth doctor does have a, a special place in my heart. And I will say this was kind of a waste of a great actor and character because Christopher did the best with what he was given. But I feel we only got a glimpse of what could have actually made for a great addition to the pantheon of the MCU villains. As on the positive side, even though the character looks slightly different compared to the comics, which is fine, they did give us what could be considered like the charismatic leader of a proud race of warriors. The problem is that he barely does anything to warrant this awe and this devotion that he gets from his people. As either they follow him because he's the only one able to wield the ether, or if not, it escapes me. As Malekith barely talks in this film. And when <laughs> he does, it's never really to give a stirring speech or show why this character is so revered. For the most part, he's either barking out orders in Elvish, or he's making mm-hmm. death threats in English. And I yes. so so here's that was that was my kind of my thing, Holly, is he's supposed to be like, you know, like I said, the charismatic leader, you know, be it the, the Stalin or the Hitler or what what have you, that everybody's in awe of the cult of personality that everybody follows right. like, you know, to 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 the uh, you know to their death if needed. And I just didn't get why. You know, that was my thing. I mean, did did you did did you have that same kind of problem with this character, or were you, or did you kind of get why all the elves got behind him? I I I was kind of the like you. I was just like, I'm just gonna go with it. There was probably more that probably had to get cut. Mm. I mean, they could have made it a little bit longer so we could have understood the why they honored him because it's almost like okay is there some sort of darth vader thing going on in the background that we don't know about that (laughs) he's making examples of people that we aren't seeing so yes whatever you want us to do we will follow you to the end to our very deaths (laughs) yeah that that was the thing also here's the other thing i was wondering because i was trying to understand something here I was wondering whether it was actually Christopher Eccleston's full-blown voice, as for some reason, it sounded a little bit odd and modulated. And I got the impression... I, yeah, what were you going to say? I'm, I'm with you. I think it was... I'm thinking they modulated it when they did the... when they did the speaking in Elvish. But then when he talked, I could hear... when he was speaking the English with the death threats... I could hear, but I'm thinking they must have done a little something, too, because it didn't really truly sound like the Christopher Eccleston that we're used to. 
Yeah, it seemed like almost deeper, if you will. And uh, it kind of yeah. like, as I said, because um, obviously having, being very familiar with his voice, like I'm sure you are between, mm-hmm. you know, the, t- the, t- the, um, the TV version of, of Doctor Who and, you know, those who've kind of imitated him a little bit on um, Big Finish and what have you. It's, the voice just sounds, like I said, it almost seemed like it'd been slowed down. It was like, rrr, rrr, rrr. I was like, Come on, Christopher Eccleston has a beautiful voice. Don't do that to him. Um, right. And and I got the and I got the impression, like I said, at times that he was, I don't know, he didn't seem like he was fully buying into the character for some reason. I don't know. No yeah. surprise, you know. After that, apparently, Christopher Eccleston wanted nothing more to do with the MCU. So I wonder whether you know how invested he actually was in the project. Right. Uh, or. If- there was something going on behind the scenes with the director, and like you were saying, maybe it would have been best if Kenneth Branagh would have been there. Because, I mean, this does kind of have that Shakespearean mm-hmm. aspect to it. So, you know, what if, you know, things might have been different if Branagh could have done that one? He might have been a little more receptive. Maybe we'd have gotten a little more. I, I think. It, yeah. Yeah, because I think if you're Kenneth Branagh, you're probably going to use Christopher Eccleston to the best of his abilities. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. or tell the writer, hey, we need some more. This isn't clicking quite right. We need a little more background with Malachith. Yeah, and I think that's also the big problem is you're also maybe juggling a lot of characters because, you know, you obviously have to give Loki his due because he will be a draw for the audience because folks love uh, love Loki and obviously they want to get as much Loki as they can. And I suppose you want to develop the relationship between Thor and Loki. But at the same time, you're also establishing that the big bad in this film are the Dark Elves and in particular Malekith. And I guess it was maybe a question of you know, being able to balance everything. And that might've been the big problem is because you obviously you have to show a lot of epic fights, which they do and they're good, but the character, as I, as I just felt, I was, I just, I was just really sad. I, I honestly felt bad watching Christopher Eccleston because I said to myself, I really wanted something special for this guy. Um, but you know, hopefully when, and if we do get other actors who have played, you know, the doctor in doctor who uh, in the MCU, you know, hopefully they get better treatment. That's all I, I, that's all yeah. I can really say. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so, so, you know, as we did talk about all the kind of the main characters here, Holly, let's get to ratings here. What do you give this film out of 10? Uh, I'm going to have to go eight and a half out of 10. I mean, it was, it was good. I mean, a little bit slow in a couple of spots. I, Malachith, I mean, he, if he's supposed to, like you were saying, I marked it down a little bit because if he's supposed to be this awe-inspiring powerhouse evil villain, he kind of shows it, but it's more, I'm here, the Dark Elves are going to do my dirty work mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit. It's just like, are or were they trying to telegraph that Loki was the main villain, which in this one, he's kind of not. Yeah. You, I you mean, could he gets have... the glimpses of villainy aspect, but I mean, he's he's helping Thor, but then he's also serving his own purpose. But you know, nothing really evil, evil coming from Loki. 
Yeah, that's the thing is that's why I think there's a big imbalance because either this could have almost been two movies. You could have just done, yeah. you know, Thor, the Dark World with Thor and the Dark Elves. And then you could have done another movie where you actually had the whole thing of Thor and Loki. I really get the feeling that there's this almost this double soul in this film. It's almost like screaming, this could this could be two movies. And you could actually develop it better and you could have made two movies out of this. Um, uh-huh. With all the storylines and stuff that's going on. I'm actually going to be a little bit harsher than you. I'm actually going to give this a six and a half out of ten. As I enjoyed it, but as I said, I'm kind of sad that they messed with my doc with one of my doctors, and I was a little bit upset about yeah. that. Um, and also, as I said, just the whole concept of, like I said, there's the, the clear kind of imbalance there is in this film. Loki is fantastic. He's probably one of the highlights in this film. And the fact, of, of course, of fr- the death of Frigga is huge, which, of course, you know, we will be revisiting when we do watch Endgame. So, so some major things are set up. The, the, um, the cliffhanger of Loki being Odin was great. The music was awesome. But I just thought that we could, they could have done better when it, ca- it came to the Dark Elves for sure. So uh, when, you know, when it comes to reading recommendations here, I actually had a few comics that I wanted to suggest to our listeners. But before I did that, Holly, is there anything particularly you would like to suggest to the, to the listeners who enjoyed Thor The Dark World? Um, I don't have any comics in particular, mm. but I mean, for the problems that Thor Dark World has, it's still an enjoyable movie. So it shouldn't get poo-pooed, but still there is, they could have gone a little bit longer because what, it was less than two hours. I yep. mean, they could have easily added an extra half hour. 45 minutes to it <laughs> i think so too hey i wouldn't have complained you know if they'd no. given us that, for sure um well then when it comes to my reading recommendations folks if you want to find out a little bit more about malekith and what he's like in the comics i would actually suggest you check out malekith and the casket of a thousand winters which is of course the story arc which takes place in the mighty thor 344 to 350 here we actually get malekith's initial appearance in thor and it sets off another big saga which is the surtur saga in the 1980s and it puts an unexpected marvel crossover in motion this uh, this series came from 1984 and malekith's machinations were felt across several titles when he take the gets his hands on the casket of ancient winters which we'd actually seen in the first thor movie also i would suggest you guys check out the accursed which is takes place in thor god of thunder issues 12 to 18 here we have once again malekith up to his old tricks as the former lord of the dark elves is freed from his prison and the chase is on across the nine realms to capture him malekith begins a bloody rampage Thor finds new allies to aid him. We have a dark elf sorceress, a gun-toting light elf. We have a mountain giant, a dwarf who loves dynamite, and a troll. This is basically where we get the wild hunt, which I hope we might get eventually in the movies as well. Thor goes back to Midgard, and uh, he meets up once again with Jane Foster. So, you know, a lot of lovey-dovey there, and of course... He also has to basically save the world with the Avengers. So the Avengers do make an appearance here too. So definitely check out Thor, God of Thunder, issues 12 to 18. And the story is The Accursed. 
So, dear listeners, if you want to be like Holly and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. We also really appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show. You can reach out with those also at happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness in Darkness. You can also follow us on Twitter, we're at High Darkness Pod, or on Instagram under Hin Darkness. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast and are feeling generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash happiness and darkness. Big, big thank you to all our wonderful patrons out there. One of these also being Holly. And Holly, we definitely really appreciate your support of the podcast. And as always, we want to send a big thank you to our video maker, David Moreno, the mad scientist behind all the great episode trailers you can find on our face on our Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to his nostalgia channel on YouTube. The man does great work. And when it comes to you, Holly, tell us a little bit about where folks can find you and what you do on the interwebs. Well, you can find me as one-fifth of the Five-ish Fangirls podcast. We are at thefiveishfangirls.com. And we're also on Facebook, Instagram under that. Um, you can find me personally at hollymac underscore 79 at Twitter and Instagram. Fantastic. And folks, definitely check out the Five-ish Fangirls. They are wonderful, wonderful podcasters in their own right. And their podcast is always very, very entertaining. When it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I also host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play traditional country, today's country, and everything else in between. For more about that and how wet to tune in, you can visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, feel free to also check out our latest project, Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where with co-hosts Zan Sprouse and another Five-ish Fangirl, Rachel Friend, we're reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1927's Wings to the present day. If you guys would like to join us on there to discuss your favorite Best Picture winner, feel free to send us an email, goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and the Twitter machine. And also, uh, on other podcasting adventures I've, I've had the chance to enjoy, recently I've joined Charles Skaggs and Jesse Jackson on Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, which is currently on hiatus because we're waiting for the new series of Titan Titans and Doom Patrol, but the Fandom Zone is currently active, and we are discussing that wonderful, wonderful show, which is WandaVision. So definitely be sure to check that out for sure. And speaking of things to come on this show, next week we'll be joined by Christine Peruski to discuss the 2010 Edgar Wright film, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. That's going to be a crazy one. (laughs) that said when it comes to you holly once again i look forward to having you back here on happiness and darkness and i cannot thank you enough for joining me today and really really appreciate your support you're very welcome i'm glad you could have me and i'm looking forward to coming back again and talking some more superhero movies with you we then very much look forward to that well folks thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us we will see you next week with christine and scott pilgrim versus the world until then Stay super. Ciao, my people. God of wonder, God of rain. Earth shaker who feels no pain. The power ahead of the universe. Now spend your never ending curse. I watched as he shouted to the giants who died.